John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. have accessed entry 126.jb1304, certificate number 11904, Bitcoin Pizza Day. So we all agree change is bad. Progress doesn't work. Haunting scheme. Sad. Uh, so how much Bitcoin do you own? Let me check. Let me just look and see how it's doing today. I own zero Bitcoin. Oh, zero Bitcoin. I also own zero Bitcoin. Ooh, our uh, our investments are are kind of matching each other. Though. Yeah. Do you uh, remember when you first heard of Bitcoin? I don't, but it was years and years ago. Yeah. Where it was, uh, hey, this is a new crazy thing. Yeah. Why should governments have anything to do with currency? Why, indeed. Uh, and in the following decade, we have discovered. <laughs> um, I was, uh, you know, I was early adopter of Twitter, and um, and I was lurking on 4chan a lot during those days. And what could go wrong? I know what could go wrong, and it was before 4chan became uh, a complete cesspool. When it was back, when it was uh, like only ninety percent a sex uh, cesspool. And a sex pool. <laughs> you were there for the sex pool, and then it became a cesspool. Yeah. And so uh, in 2009, when Bitcoin first arrived on the scene, I, I don't think I was aware of it in 2009, but, but quickly thereafter, I started to read about it. And, um, and you know, the, the uh, 4chan bros were very much early adopters of, of every kind of that sort of... No way. If you can believe it. And I remember, you know, distinctly when Bitcoin was, was, uh, it was valued at only a few cents or, you know, less than 50 cents and thinking, you know, what's the worst that can happen? I should buy some of these and then thinking, well, uh, you know, it just feels like throwing $500 into the garbage to buy a thousand of these. So super fun. Oh right, yeah, no, that's yeah. different. For that's a different emotion for you. Than yeah, for me. no, five hundred dollars that you spend on cigars and steaks makes perfect sense to me. But five hundred dollars to buy these dumb things, and then, of course, when they were a dollar worth a dollar, it it seemed like wow, you know, I missed my chance. Five hundred of them isn't ever going to be worth anything. Five hundred dollars being 
you know, the, the most I typically invest in anything. Now, and remind me of the timeline here. The, the far future is not going to have tracked the uh, beginning of Bitcoin as closely as you. How long Are ago? You sure. How, yes, I'm quite certain. How long <laughs> ago would this have been? 2010. Okay. Um, this is literally the ground floor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 2010, 2011. But, you know, then it... I didn't... I think I was a few years later. It went from a dollar to a hundred dollars pretty fast, you know, in that first few years, but then it kind of petered along at a hundred, 200, 300 up and down, up and down. And, uh, even, and when it was a hundred dollars and it seemed like, wow, buying, buying 50 of these would be, that's a substantial amount of money. That's one homeowner monetary unit. You could put a new roof on the barn for 5,000 bucks. I mean, you probably have that just in ingots sitting by your door. Uh, Yeah. Sure, but you, I mean, but I you wanted to keep it in door ingots. I felt it felt to me like a, like a silver ingot was a better investment. And I, the thing is, I understood the concept because I had it explained to me by all the the uh, teenagers who were busy doxing uh, cheerleaders with with a thousand pizzas. <laughs> I had it explained, uh, you, and and it's not hard to understand. Um, basically. It's the idea of a return to the gold standard. It's a, it's a finite thing. All money is fake, as we know, and um, money is uh, made more fake all the time by the fact that governments just print more of it. And sometimes when I draw little mustaches on the presidents, that's right. Uh, yeah, that's right. If you if you if you stamp your twenty dollar bills uh, with a stamp that says this is a timber dollar, uh, and we eat spotted owls up up here in Packwood. It invalidates the money. I just put my little sovereign citizen stamp on it. Sovereign I just citizen. I pick a word that begins with a vowel and then a consonant or whatever, and then it, all the money's mine. Your phone is always a submarine. Well, and you know what's what's crazy about this phone call is it says that it's my personal banker at Wells Fargo calling, <gasps> maybe calling me to say that he invested all my stuff, all my my. Uh, my minimal savings in uh, Bitcoin. Like, is did it say the name or does it just say my personal banker at Wells Fargo on your phone screen? No, no, no. It has his name oh, too. Okay. And I have no idea why. I guess, I guess it's in my account. And I don't know. This is the third time he's called me and I always let it go to voicemail. So I don't know what he wants. I could never. Something yeah. Something to do with my money. I guess. All that, that so copper my, mine you my, got into, <laughs> that emerald mine in Namibia is not paying off. The reason that I have a personal banker is that he was my mother's and she conned him into dealing with me. I do not meet the the financial requirements to have a personal banker. Your mom's like, Oh, add two zeros. Yeah. Come on. It's my boy. And you know, everybody loves my mom. All the, all the, her hairstylist will agree to cut my hair, but I'm, I never want my hair cut. (laughs) Well, you both have to agree. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It has to be consensual for both parties. My dad had all these relationships, right? He knew the, he, he had his own guy at the, at the hardware store, you know, he, from that old, he had a cobbler. But none of those relationships transferred to me. I just find it a little upsetting how uh, insistent your phone ring is. Like, it seems very <laughs> urgent <laughs> when your phone rings. Like, most people have kind of a, a soothing melody. But What's your phone do? I don't even know. Whatever the default is. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but can you imagine your phone rings and it's like, beep, 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 like, yeah. there's, like there's a torpedo heading at you? Mine does. In the shape of a personal <laughs> banker? Every phone call is like a torpedo headed at me. I mean, that's more accurate. That's, I'm the HMS Prince of Wales. That's how I react to phone calls. Like, oh, what could happen now? <laughs> yeah. It actually should say, boo. 
See, so I can hold up a little Wiley Coyote song that says, oh dear, just in time. Beep, beep. So have you done the math? Like what your hypothetical oh, non-silver ingot? A thousand times I've done the math over the years. I mean, back when Bitcoin was a thousand dollars. I did the math and was like, no, but in the last few months, you probably feel pretty good. The math's getting more in your favor. Well, no, I mean, even at, it's the multiplier still. Yeah. I mean, it, it's uh, Bitcoin's at $20,000 when we record this episode. And if I had bought a thousand Bitcoin, I think you can add zeros to 20,000 as well as I, but you know, the high water mark, whenever you talk about one of these things, you always have to resort to the high water mark because not only should I have bought Bitcoin at 50 cents, I should have sold, sold three it months ago at $65,000 a Bitcoin. And now, and that's, uh, although it's now 20,000, every time I talk about somebody that actually got rich, I'm always going to refer back to that high water mark. Because they all sold on that day, I'm sure. I'm sure they all did. No, they didn't. That's why they're crying like a bunch of babies right now. The uh, I, don't, I don't think I've told this story before. I was... I was on some internet forum, like uh, this first entered my conscience maybe a year ago where I was on some internet forum where somebody was asked, you know, it's just some stupid Reddit prompt, like, what's your greatest regret? And I really started thinking a lot about this. Were you and I talking about this? Maybe I did this on the show. Like, what would your greatest regret be? And I was thinking, well, you know, like when my grandma was like in the home, I should have gone every week, oh. you know, like stuff yeah. like that, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah. stuff where it's too late, really real Mike and the mechanics, living years, kind of emotional stuff. In my case, it's like they're the top five are all like girls I should have asked if they wanted to make out. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to make out? I should have said that, you know, over the years. Well, unless right? unless one of them was my grandma, we have different. Uh, yeah, we do. We have different targets of our regret. Uh, but I was going through the thread and it was amazing how many of these. Yeah, I almost think it was like some religious setting. It was like some. Oh, it, yeah. it was like some, uh, you know, like a Sunday school kind of a forum or something. And going through the chat, it was amazing how many of them were not like, you know, I should have told my dad I loved him. You know, right. I should have, uh, when my dog got sick, we should have just gone to the park every day. You know, you'd think that's what it would be. I should have quit drinking six years ago. Exactly. Yeah. You know, personal moral behavior. Pretty much uh, two-thirds of them, because, you know, it was an internet thing, so it trended young and it trended male. Uh, two-thirds of them were like... Why didn't I buy Bitcoin? Why didn't I buy Bitcoin? Well, I should have bought Bitcoin. Well, I could have. And it's clear that this was a generational trauma for a lot of these people, that yeah. they are raised with the idea that their last chance at the middle class came and went because of what's... And this is this is something that's been true in every generation. You could always look back and be like, well, if I'd bought Microsoft at, you know, or... Right, IBM. Why didn't I just buy IBM? The generation before that, why yeah. didn't I buy IBM? So there's always been this thing. But this seemed like a real trauma for these people, presumably because of what's happened in capitalism since then, where it seems like most policy decisions are made purely to eradicate the middle class and concentrate wealth elsewhere. Uh, a lot of people seem to think like that was the thing. I would have been, my life would have been good if I had made this one crypto transaction. And instead, my life is bad. Or the hard drive with my Bitcoins on it is in a dump and I lost the password. Well, I, I, we get criticized a lot. Not criticized. We get a lot of comments in Futurelings fora about how we, we don't do enough millennial topics. And I do feel like this is, a, this is a particularly millennial topic. It's also, by the way, an anniversary omnibus entry. Uh, that's right. This is our 500th 
episode. 500th entry. And I, um, I propose to you that we do the 500th entry uh, as a, um, an entry about the Omnibus pod, uh, podcast. Uh, and where, then end the show. Where, 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 I, uh, where I told you all about it and you acted as though you'd never heard of it. Uh, but you kind of, you know. This was the kind of sustained improv that I could not do for 20 seconds without cringing. <laughs> you didn't do enough theater sports in the 80s to be able to pull that off That's for an hour. That's exactly right. I mean, I, the, I've realized since then that you will do every anniversary show oh, yeah. on this show. Right. Because there are, you know, if we do every other, if, you're, if you've noticed, John presents every other show. I present the I'm always Tuesday even ones. He's always, always Thursday, which means if you're numbering them. I'm always odd. Right. Although you'll get all the prime numbers. <laughs> I was thinking, what is the closest thing to an anniversary show that is an odd number? And I still don't know. What's our next prime no. after 500? I don't know. Come on. It's not 501. Come on, genius. 501 is divisible by <laughs> three. Uh, I think that in addition to the, you know, the decline and fall of the middle class, I think that there's also within millennial culture, um, Things really changed for them in, uh, in, in terms of what extraordinary wealth looked like. You mean and, it was more in their face? Well, to- just that it was more outrageous. I mean, uh, if, I if, it was, uh, if it was 1880, uh, it the, was— The richest guy you know has a nicer stick pin on his tie. Well, it was certainly possible to become extremely wealthy, but you had to own steel plants and railroads. When we were kids and when, when I was in high school, if you made $50,000 a year, you were a lawyer or a doctor, right? I don't rem- – I mean the first time I heard of someone making $100,000 a year, I think I was gobsmacked. And I don't remember Gen X doing as much glamorizing of the super wealthy. Because there were it – was it, Right. There were hardly any of those people and they still seemed to be – in they were industrialists, right? They were right. making things, and I was very. It kind of seemed like you know back then the you know the kind of the the waning boomer optimist of the time was that everything will be fine. You know, you'll you'll go to college and you'll get some nice office job, and you will be so comfy. Like everybody's going to be good. Yeah, it was the opposite of the of the doomer vibe today. Going to college was. A direct path to betterment, right? And, and, and a good enough betterment. Yeah. Like, look at that nice house you're going to have. I'm going to make. I can. If I'm a lawyer, what if I made fifty thousand dollars a year? And we talk about this that the CEOs at the time made two hundred thousand dollars a year, and uh, and that was just like holy. What couldn't you buy? We were not a nation of shareholders, right. at the time. And I remember the first conversation I had in the mid '90s with a with who would I guess be now considered an older millennial who was in the Microsoft sphere. And I remember saying like, well, what's your plan? You know, like I'm, I'm trying to be a rock musician and you're, he was rock adjacent, I think as a fan primarily. I said, you know, what's your career arc? And he said, well, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 27 and then I'm going to retire and devote myself to, Habitat for Humanity or something. And I, and I laughed and said, what kind of, what kind of life goal is that? Like, you're not going to be a, you can't just say I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 27. That's what you say in show and tell when you're like 
eight. Yeah. Like, what are, what are you even talking about? That's You're, you're basically saying, I'm going to win the lottery. I'm going to have a flying car and live under the ocean. And he looked at me kind of like, I don't think you understand. I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 27. Did he show you his portfolio? Well, no. And, and who knows? I mean, I knew a lot of people that worked in software then that aren't millionaires. Yeah. Yeah, those guys. But he had ambition. I have lost touch with him. I don't know if he's a millionaire. Are you listening? Do you remember this conversation, sir? Send us your net worth. But, not not the number. Send us your actual net worth. But millennials were the first generation, I think, in history where the news was full of examples of their peers who were doing the exact same video gaming that they were doing in college, uh, dropping out after their freshman year and becoming billionaires by starting a company that basically took them a day and a half to program and you know, so money became... You didn't have to own a single mill. No, no, right. And you didn't even really you have to have family money, although, you know, family it, it, money always helps. That's what got you into Harvard where you were right. uh, in the dorms writing your stupid website. But but it seemed like there was at least a decade there where you couldn't open the newspaper without being told that there was a 22-year-old that was refusing to sell their billion-dollar company to Apple because they believed it was going to be worth $40 billion. And so that can't help but become at least yeah. emotionally standardized in your mind. Like, well, that's what success looks like. Especially when average household incomes are stagnant or dropping. Right. And you're like, wait, so what, am I the only one that's having a bad month? What? Yeah. And I'm also, you know, I'm 24. I'm also a genius. I'm doing all the same things. And yet I'm way less comfy than my parents were. What, what's wrong with me? Yeah, exactly. And for, for you and me, I mean, <laughs> making $50,000 a year was... I didn't, I'm not sure I had a goal beyond it, right? Like the day my mom got a raise over $50,000 a year, we looked at each, she came home and was like, guess what? I'm making $59,000 a year. And it was like, that's more than my dad ever made in his whole life. It was the day that she surpassed my dad. Yeah. Because he had always been. Hope you guys the, went to Farrell's. He had always been the big cheese. And then all of a sudden she was like, guess who's the big cheese now? And it was like a, Yeah. I don't think my uh, attitude about money changed until I was until the maybe the 2010s that I realized 50,000 I I feel like I I feel like 1 million dollars <laughs> that $50,000 was no longer like an extraordinary amount of money. Yeah, the 1 million dollars joke is kind of a result of this time. Yeah. Like it's that's that's pretty much the first year or two when you would have understood the idea that a million dollars is a little bit paltry for a supervillain. And I and I have a, I have tremendous sympathy for millennials growing up in a time when there was no path to a middle class, but also this incredibly unrealistic. Yeah, you know, like you're saying, two thirds of the people on this website are like, I could have bought this this one, pretend money. One decision would have made yeah. me a multimillionaire, and I wouldn't be working for the man. And at a, at that time, a thousand dollars probably meant a lot to all of those people. They were young, and a thousand dollars was a, was real money, as it was to me. So buying Bitcoin, I never had a thousand dollars in any no, account until I was out of college. I was forty before I had a thousand dollars that I didn't have that wasn't spoken for, and that was about this time. I was about forty or forty two, forty three. Luckily today, you can just say how many followers you, you have or want to have. That's Well, at the time, that was true for me too. And my, the number of followers I wanted to have was 7,000. 
Right, but that was like you wanted to have a, a cult in Big Sur. I mean, basically, if you had seven thousand followers, then you might as well be. I mean, you were you were Harrison Ford. On you, you were literally more popular than Jesus. Like you were <laughs> sixty times, yeah. fifty-eight times more popular than Jesus. Yeah, how many followers did Jesus? Yeah, have? Twelve, Nine? Yeah, twelve, twelve tops. Yeah. Well, you know, twelve. But were they all? Yeah, Judas on didn't. Board? Judas didn't seem super into yeah. it. So, so Bitcoin. You know what? Do you, how much of it do you understand? Do you know what a blockchain is? Like, I don't know the, um, like, I don't, I can't explain the how the algorithm works, but I understand the effect of it, which is that it enforces a certain kind of algorithmic scarcity in the amount of this currency that can be produced, because it takes a you know a substantial amount of computing power working with large numbers. You know, the same way that large numbers revolutionize cryptography to, to create a situation where money appears when the algorithm decides it does and at no other time. Well, a blockchain is, is really just a ledger. Um, and a central accounting of, yeah, transactions happen and they get ordered into a block and then that block get when it, when it gets full. Um, it gets attached to a chain. Wait, a blockchain is a chain of blocks? It's a chain of blocks. And the blocks are a discrete number of transactions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if your if your blockchain like the like the Bitcoin blockchain, the blocks are all one megabyte of data uh representing a bunch of transactions. And this is all distributed, so it's it's well, everywhere it, and nowhere. Yeah, it's visible to everyone. It's completely open set of open source set of of transactions, and then it gets it gets clipped clipped on to the chain. It becomes the next link in the chain, and the chain then presumably is eternal and accessible to everyone. And the virtue of this is that it's immutable, basically. Like yeah. uh, the numbers have spoken, and and they know there's no there's no disputing. Uh, who did or said what first or what happened when or how much the amount was. Um, the math all follows from the algorithm. And blockchain after Bitcoin, uh, once it was widely understood, has become um, a technology, a thought technology, but a real technology that's used by companies and, you know, it's being it's being converted and, and exploited and, and, you know, used used and and privatized i mean all the things that that bitcoin's blockchain is supposed to provide transparency and universality i mean you can make a blockchain that only you only your you know an internal blockchain like a like a network that's available only to the employees of ibm this is going to annoy people but i am a little skeptical about you know blockchain technology you know how much hype versus how much of a game changer it actually is I'm I am unconvinced. Well, this episode is definitely going to annoy certain people because this is an extremely emotional topic and people are very passionate about crypto. Well, they have to be if they can't keep finding new rubes, I mean customers. <laughs> well, crypto and one of the reasons it's passionate and one of the reasons that people are yelling at me right now and I should I should say uh, I don't really understand any of this. It's all 
I thought crypto was Superman's dog. It's all math. But um, bump. And uh, who knows about math? Who knows about computer maths? I'm just going to hold up the not compatible with Marxism sign, like in a vase. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to say this whole episode. The thing about uh, about money, um, and we've talked about this several times on the show, is that at the when when money was lo- no longer backed directly by gold, when we went off the gold standard and money became just sort of fiat money. Um, it's in a, a construct. It's it, an agreed upon delusion. It really agitated all of the gold standard gold bug types who all kind of congregated around a sort of John Birch society idea of what, what debt and government and, um, and the individual and free speech. I mean, all of these ideas kind of, became politicized and and tended to be a bet noir or a or a cause celeb one of the one of the two <laughs> whichever one you want whatever accent you want to put a on it Bircher, it's a bet noir yeah. right you cuz now we can't even trust the government to to be good for what it says it's good for so so uh, so the idea of a e currency was floated decades ago uh and uh, you know, I think Milton Friedman already knew, uh, already ha- suggested that it was the future, because there needed to be, as people envisioned the internet, there there also became the possibility of this medium of exchange that wasn't controlled by a government, and so the idea being that it didn't fluctuate in value or it didn't decline in value. Because a government can, I mean, if you think about the number of dollars that we are, uh, that are on the market, as it were, right now, from, since the year 2000, the number of, the, the number of dollars in the world has gone from $500 billion to $2 trillion. There are four times more dollars. Just as a result of monetary yeah, just as a result of the United States printing dollars to um, to keep keep the 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 wheels turning. Who got the additional? Uh, what was it? Not me. Not you. One one point five trillion dollars. It did not go to us. Mm. Uh, a lot of it went to bailout banks, as we'll see soon. But also, it went to <laughs> eviscerating a middle class, and also, who knows? I mean, it's all money's just you know, it's flying around it's like there. paper airplanes. It's in the couch. People are lighting cigars with it. I mean, it's buried on islands. Jeff Bezos's ex-wife has some number of billions of it. She's given away like more during this show than we will ever yeah. have. Yeah. What is she worth a trillion dollars? What even is no. a trillion dollars? Nobody's worth a trillion dollars. Not yet. Um. So. The when Bitcoin arrived, it um, it really tickled the fancy of this pre-existing sort of political universe that was uh, sort of anti-global fiscal policy, and if you can imagine what an anti-globalist gold fixated group thinks about other political topics <laughs> just typically when you think of those terms let's not generalize but <laughs> um, it definitely attracted a certain uh segment of the population 
that um, that what what were we? I, I always I always have this problem remembering the term libertarian. Thank you, libertarianism. I think you've some kind of stage hypnotist made you unable to remember the word libertarian. That's probably good. I can never I can never think of it. When I sit here, I'm like, it's called the Berber. Ken, Ken, who are those weirdos? Berberberber, Baba Baba. I always think it starts with a B, and it, it's got to be in it. We just need to give you a post that where you can hold up that says, Ken, who are those weirdos? Who are those weirdos? And I'll be like, libertarians. Got the bee in your bonnet. The bee's in the middle. That's the bee's tricky. in the middle. Thank you. But yeah, it's, so libertarianism really, um, and and cryptocurrency really found a common cause. And libertarians saw in cryptocurrency a kind of future. There's a there's it's a way a, to get around. It's an end run around government. It's an end run around government, and it's an end run around then the powers of government to control the individual. Bitcoin or or cryptocurrency allows the individual to then become uh, completely autonomous in the in the globe. I can put world. me on my money. You can put you on your money. I don't need Andrew Jackson. And there's a lot of talk, and this is kind of a funny sidebar within the conversation, but there's a lot of talk that because code, uh, computer code is, uh, letters and numbers, sim- symbols, it's a language that therefore computer code, writing computer code is a form of speech and therefore <laughs> speech, free speech guarantees in the United States include Computer code, so that restricting any attempt to restrict Bitcoin—that's sovsit nonsense. <laughs> it's pretty most. Oh, oh. you just said sovsit, and the, no, you said computer code. Oh, oh. Of all the things that um, computer code is analogous to, uh, speech is like not in the top twenty. If I'm if I'm a court, yeah. Well, and most of the most of the legal scholars agree that. Uh, that computer code, when it is, when it communicates ideas, uh, may be protected speech. Oh my God! You're not what, gonna. What is your thing called? It's called computer, right? Computer, shut up! You're not going to say the word computer a lot. In oh this, oh are my you? God! I hope not. Um, you can turn it off, right? You could. You could unplug it. I don't know. I don't even know why it's there. It's, this isn't my. This bunker is really has it's a been rental. colonized. It's, it's, a, it's a rental. It's been colonized by Barbie RVs. And can, can you do it voice activated? Hey, computer, don't respond anymore when I say computer. Thanks for telling me. Do you think it'll says. work? That feels a little passive aggressive. Let's see if it works. Computer, what's up? Oh, maybe, Her light went on, but she didn't say anything. Maybe she's dead. Maybe I confused. Wait. If you say what's up, she starts playing NPR. Is this only in Seattle or do all uh, Alexas do that? I don't think that that would happen in Wyoming. Computer, be quiet. Uh, Thanks for telling me. Anyway, uh, computer code that is, you know, that is uh, a machine that's, you know, that effectively is a machine uh, is not, I think the courts would agree that it was not a form of speech. And certainly you can't not computer, be quiet. I would just unplug it. Would you go unplug it? It's right there, and the plug is visible. The- Every time this happens, the the message, the Facebook board is full of people being like, "This is so easy to turn off." <laughs> Alexa is such a great tool. Obviously, you're just doing it wrong. Doing it wrong again. 
Doing it wrong again. Interesting you unplugged it from the wall. You know, I would have unplugged it from the device. She started singing um, Bicycle Built for Two as I <laughs> unplugged it from the wall. Daisy, it just seemed more final Daisy, to do it at the wall. Uh, and you, you clearly can't uh, shout fire in a crowded Bitcoin blockchain and have it be considered free speech. Are you allowed to say Bitcoin is falling? No, there are a lot of places you cannot say that. Uh, so, as I think most of us know, uh, the it is the scarcity of Bitcoin and its ability to be used as a medium of exchange outside of banks, right? Their uh, Visa and Mastercard and uh, the the HBSC all charge fees for mm. transferring money. And they also have all these archaic restrictions on transferring money. You can't, you know, Friday at five, it all shuts down and, and it requires, even though, you know, I could uh, take a five minute long video of myself eating a hot dog and send it to Australia in a blink of an eye. If I, if you want to send me uh, my half of the, the, uh, Omnibus Patreon, well, according to you and Mindy, it takes you 14 days. Now, I don't know what that's all. And it comes to me in an envelope, and it's, and it's got a scented ribbon it's still on warm. it. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, get, we get a lot of use out of that money in, in the 14 days that we are telling <laughs> you it's, it's unavailable. You invested in Bitcoin, I'm sure. So, so, you know, its value is not just in its scarcity. Its value was, at least in, initially, that it was, um, that it was a new... Medium of exchange. We're going to do money right this time. That's right. Money 2.0. In a global sense. Now, of course, it immediately got used to sell cocaine and Ritalin on Silk Road. um, And that, you know, that kind of put a bad rep on it early because... Early? I mean, isn't it still hard to use... Mid. Isn't it still hard to use Bitcoin for... well, can I pay my mortgage in Bitcoin? So here's what happened. The the advocates of Bitcoin really believed that it was going to be a new media of exchange. But the problem with the blockchain was that those blocks... Um, were off the chain. Well, the, the blocks did, did not have a ton of capacity. And there was a, there developed a queue as the transactions stacked up to get included in blocks. And then the blocks added onto the chain. There was a choke point. Uh, and what that did was it slowed down Bitcoin transactions so that it no longer seemed uh, well. It, it was no longer useful, right? You would you'd try to buy something uh, at a store. Visa is capable of processing sixty five hundred and twenty seven transactions per second on each card. Uh, and then that's right. If you, if the Russians get a hold of your visa card, they're going to buy 6,500 <laughs> TVs. Ka-ching, ka-ching. Whereas Bitcoin could only process four and a half transactions per second. Is this built in? Is this something built into the, the format it's baked in, or is this something that could be solved with better tech? Well, as you can imagine, the techie types, uh, said, well, they all had different ideas about how to fix this problem. And, and the, the ideas broke down into two, kind of general ideas about how to solve it. One of them was that um, the data that was actually going into the blocks didn't need to be so uh, su- such fat stacks 
there was a lot of extraneous data that was kind of clogging the the aperture. Streamline the blocks. That's right. So we need to get we need to get the data smaller. The other option, as you can probably guess, make the blocks bigger. Um, and both things make the holes bigger, right? Make, the make, tubes bigger. Yeah. Well, no, the blocks themselves, right? You're building oh, a chain. I see. And so we've got this fewer th- blocks in of larger size. We've got this elegant chain. Are we going to keep the blocks the same size and put put less data in them? per transaction, or are we going to suddenly halfway up the chain, enlarge the chain by either an exponential amount or double it or whatever. Um, and so those were competing concepts. And in July of 2017, there actually was applied to it, uh, something called a segregated witness or segwit. Gotta have a segwit. Which was a new way of verifying the transactions so that they didn't require a ton of the the information to validate the transaction. Now, people could just kind of witness it, and enough people witnessed it, and it was validated. But there are a lot of bros involved here. What? Yeah. I'm afraid so. This is a bro-intensive environment. bro-rich environment. And a lot of the early bros, a lot of the early adopters were bros, and I remember most of them in those early days. Certified bros. There was a guy named Roger Ver who was uh, known as Bitcoin Jesus, because which is, I know. He could turn Bitcoins into wine. He, had, he also had 12 disciples. Uh, but Bitcoin Jesus was a was a real evangelist. Uh, he was always trying to get Bitcoin to be the um, to you know to supplant glo- the global money supply. He, um, from what I can tell, is fairly unlikable. And this is a uh, this is something you might be surprised to learn. There are a lot of bros that are that are fairly unlikable in this part- in this particular space in crypto yeah. in particular. Yeah, that's not surprising. what you'd expect. It's surprising. But he decided that this choke point in Bitcoin, there's a lot of um, competition over kind of the ownership of the intellectual property of Bitcoin. Bitcoin was was like, like who can sell the T-shirts? Sort of. Uh, Bitcoin was was uh, initiated. The original code was written and and uh, activated, I guess, by a mysterious character by the name of Satoshi Nakamoto. And nobody knows who Satoshi Nakamoto is. He doesn't exist. Well, Satoshi Nakamoto may be an elusive person who left no trail or left a confusing and and fractured trail. Seems difficult today. Satoshi Nakamoto might be a group of people. Satoshi Nakamoto, there are several people that have been that have been, you know, uh, put forward as potentially the the Satoshi. It could be a pseudonym, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's almost certainly one. There's no, n- no you one can find. You can't it. find a Japanese census record for. A- yeah, he. It, there's no uh, list of traffic tickets. Um, but, but crucially, although Bitcoin entered the world in 2009, uh, in 2011. Satoshi disappeared. Satoshi, uh, very definitely, the idea behind Bitcoin was that it was not controlled. It was not controlled by anyone. It was not um, 
there was no leader. It was, it was completely open source. And Satoshi, up until that point, until April of 2011, Satoshi continued to kind of engage. Nobody could quite track them down. There appear to be dozens of candidates. Yeah. But on April 28th, 2011, Satoshi stopped communicating. And uh, April 28th is now known as Satoshi Disappear Day. Because within the Bitcoin community, there's a lot of, I mean, they're trying to create a kind of, um, well, like any cult. <laughs> they're trying to create a, like a, well, like well, a intellectual uh, pedigree. On the day when he comes back to Earth, you know, you want to be able to celebrate that as well. Here, here he is, finally. He's here the, they are. He's been in the tomb for 10 years. Right. Um, so, back to Bitcoin Jesus, or Roger Ver. I'm a Bitcoin Jesus. He believed that the solution to this sort of... Um, well, so what happened was, because Bitcoin was difficult to use as an, an actual media of exchange, uh, it it started to be uh, used as just a repository of wealth. Um, people sequestered it, you know, they kept it in their wallets and their wallets gained in value, but it was now, uh, it had pr- primarily its value was in its scarcity and it had lost its value as a, an internet, as a, a medium of exchange, a medium, right. And, um, as an instrument, monetary instrument, because nobody would accept it for most goods or services. Well, right? cause it would, you know, it sometimes took uh, 72 hours for the transaction to clear. And the thing about money is that money itself, this is like, you know, kind of a misconception that a lot of us have. Money is not wealth. Money is strictly a, uh, a, a unit of value that, that facilitates the movement of wealth, which is stuff or services. Um, and so, you know, gold is a repository of utility. You can trade gold for this. You can trade gold for that. You can trade this for that using gold. But gold itself, you know, it has, it's useful in jewelry. Um, and in, and it's useful if you're going to try and coat the outside of a lunar lander. Unlike paper money, it has other limited uses. L- limited uses. Paper money is not ductile. But so Bitcoin Jesus decided to start... A his idea was that he was going to start a separate iteration of Bitcoin called Bitcoin Cash, which was going to then be a a, a faster you know built around a separate a, a a wider architecture, and that chain was then going to allow you to use Bitcoin Cash as you would cash. But Bitcoin sits in your wallet, but Bitcoin Cash is your way of passing it back and forth more quickly or efficiently. But in order to do it, he basically just built a new blockchain and Bitcoin Cash is not really Bitcoin. It's a new crypto. Oh, it's in parallel. And is this the, was this the first new crypto? No, right? There, no. There had been other attempts. There had been other attempts and the the most um the the second most widely used and valuable crypto is Ether which was started by a 19-year-old, um, you know, like 
pimply faced smart kid uh, who had an idea that the blockchain could not only it it wasn't only about this sort of crypto generation uh, cryptocurrency generation, but you could use a blockchain to also um, like program in future transactions. Like on March seventh every year, you're going to give me a hundred dollars uh, because it's it's John Disappear Day, and uh, and so you can put that into ether. The blockchain allow it's not just a ledger of transactions. It's also a place where you can it's a schedule. You can store programs and the, the those programs would then be activated. Or you know, it's and you can there's a there's a great example of a uh, of a Chinese dissident, a woman who was being persecuted because she reported her bosses for sexual harassment and within China she was she was uh, severely censored but she took her letter of accusation, encoded it, and put it into Ether, and uh, and then it was in the blockchain for eternity, so readable by anyone. And you know, it became a um, seems like an unusual use case for the for a crypto blockchain, right? But it be it made Ethereum a company that seemed like it was and and the thing is they never intended ether to be a cryptocurrency but because of its because of the way a blockchain works um people started to use oh, it as a crypt- that's cryptocurrency and now it is the second most valuable cryptocurrency around and actually sur- and that's did- just by virtue of Right place at the right time. I mean, maybe there's advantages to some of these over others, but. Well, looking into the future, right? Like anytime you adopt a new technology, when we look back at it, it seems like the jet airplane or the steam engine or the printing press followed an inevitable course. But of course, there were always 60 different people building steam engines and some of them required a live cat and some of them were made out of leather. And the ones that became the, the dominant forms are the ones that kind of survived that period, sometimes decades where the new technology was trying to work itself out. And initially everybody was dubious of it. Steam engine. What are we ever going to do with that? A horse will always beat a locomotive. And then eventually it works itself out. And there are a lot of people betting on Ethereum as being a, a, a more useful blockchain, still open source, although that's arguable too. I mean, as fast as good ideas get adopted now, you know, it was, it was, it was different in the days of the printing press, movable type where, you know, that's going to take a new thing like that will take decades to change a culture. We know from experience that, the iPhone did not take decades to no. change a culture. No, that uh, uh, social media did not take decades to change a culture. Ugh, no, uh, I mean I'm not saying these are good, but uh, it seems like crypto has been surprisingly slow at this uh, revolution it ushered in. Yeah, and there are a lot of there are a lot of people arguing that crypto is 
a uh, will will result in a global liberation. If you think about all the nations of the world where the government uses their monetary policy to control the population, or governments devalue their currency, governments restrict their currency. Um, there are there are lots of examples of women in Afghanistan, for instance, who uh, whose husbands control the finances and they have no options. But there, uh, there's one particular example of a woman that began to maintain a crypto account where she, you know, she squirreled away the money that came her way, and I and I think, you know, as part of an, she got people contributing to it. And eventually was able to leave her husband because she had this account. She wouldn't have otherwise been able to, uh, you know, to, to put together a savings. Under our monetary yeah. system. Seems a little cherry picked, but okay. I mean, there are lots of examples and they're all sort of cherry picked, but, but each used to describe this science fiction world in the future where we're not, um, where money and banks in particular are not, agents of control. And of course we've seen banks have also become unhinged, you know, uh, the deregulation sure. of them over the last 40 years has produced a wild west in banking that has benefited only a very small proportion of the people. But you and I would argue that that's a function of deregulation, so an utterly deregulated monetary marketplace. What would that look like? Right. Right. Surely untrammeled good. And that's where we are today. So let's go all the way back to the first instance when Bitcoin was used to buy an actual thing. Ooh. Was it heroin? It was not. Although of kind. Was it plutonium? A kind of heroin. Not plutonium either. I don't think, I mean, there is no recorded instance of somebody buying uh, Oxycontin with with uh, Bitcoin before this moment. Bitcoin was it, it was all the subsequent transactions that, that was, are yeah. that are all fentanyl. It's, it was all it was all Oxy after that. But in the in the initial days of Bitcoin, it was it was a dream. It was a bag inside of a suitcase. It was a hat on a hat. It was turtles all the way down. Uh, fascinating to people as a theory. Uh, and those early Bitcoin miners, which is to say people who were uh, performing those transactions over time on their personal computers. I just realized we haven't even talked about the environmental impacts, but okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, they were often, I mean, they were rewarded early on with, uh, with thousands of Bitcoin, um, they were a lot easier to find back then. Super, it's super easy to find. There's you, a hard theoretical cap on the number of bitcoins there can be. There can be 21 million bitcoins, and almost all have been mined out of the ether. There are a lot, although the final bitcoin won't be mined until two, 2140. Oh, okay, I'll start so, then. I want to get the last one. So it's a you know it's kind of a it's a it's a curve on a graph. Right. It went up really fast, and now it's curving over and and it's going to be a, a line increasingly flat it's like a how a final home run or something is more valuable so i want to get the last bitcoin and that'll be my only one in 2009 um every 10 minutes you could mine 50 bitcoin um 50 bitcoin at the maximum price 
representing uh, what's uh, fifty times sixty-five thousand? Go about three million, isn't it? Sixty-five thousand equals three million two hundred fifty thousand. Um, so you could you could mine fifty of those in a minute. Now, Bitcoin started in two thousand nine. By 2010, halfway through the year, uh, there were a lot of people around the world kind of mining these little coins with no real sense of what their actual value was. In May of 2010, a man by the name of Laszlo Hanyets, who um, lived in Florida, ultimately this Not is Hungary. A, no, uh, he's Hungarian. Hungarian name. Floridian by uh, Hungarian hyphen Floridian, yeah. and, and ultimately this is just a Florida man story. I mean, it kind of is when you think about like if these guys are right, and this is like an actual massive wealth transfer because our money systems fundamentally change. We have just completed a massive transfer of wealth to the people who were most likely to be dicking around with libertarian thought tech in in two thousand nine. That's right. Which is what well, I think that's right. That's yeah. that's who should get rewarded. Yeah, and you know who was on four chan <laughs> in two thousand nine? Steve Bannon. Like he's he he was he's a crypto guy. I mean a lot of these people a lot of them I wonder why are you still working? Like if you have sixty million billion trillion dollars, like go buy an aircraft carrier. I keep saying it. Can they sell it? Could somebody who owns who owns you know nine figures in crypto is there an easy way to I don't know the answer to this is there an easy way to turn into U.S. dollars and therefore real estate Yeah, ultimately you you can find a buyer you find a buyer because there are because now no one can afford one Bitcoin for for even twenty thousand dollars or or few people can uh, but you can go to your supermarket put the money into Bitcoin cash and buy a fraction of a fraction of a Bitcoin. That's how those weird Bitcoin ATMs work. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to buy $500 worth of Bitcoin, it's going to be a very small fraction of a Bitcoin, but you can add them up in your wallet. And I should say at this point that because neither of us have any Bitcoin, um, one of the things that kept me from doing it, I think in 2010 was I have to do what now? Remember up long password and keep it on a hard drive like i don't know well you were wrong think of all those people who have millions trapped on a trapped on a file because they don't have the password well i know i mean that's a brilliant thing there's a there was a guy who accidentally threw away a hard drive in australia and um he had been mining bitcoin for a long time and he had something like uh, he had 1500 bitcoin or more on this hard drive that's worth 150 million dollars or you know not Maybe, maybe more than a hundred yeah. million dollars, and it's sitting in a landfill, and it's in in a knowable landfill in Australia. As long as it costs less than one hundred and forty nine million dollars to get it out, but nobody yet has decided. Like, okay, I'm gonna I'm going to put put together what it would take to sift an entire <laughs> landfill, knowing what we know, which is it went in on a certain date, in a certain place. And I think it was probably a lot easier five years ago to figure out where that was. Um, but it's there. I mean, luckily they don't recycle in Australia. So. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I don't, th- I mean, you're, I have a hard drive that just sat here on this table unmolested and it doesn't work anymore. Every hard drive I've ever <laughs> owned is like in a weird desk in my drawer, drawer in my desk. Anyway, last night I went on and got an account. On Coinbase Wallet. Welcome to the revolution, John. And it's under the name All the Great Shows. 
That's my Coinbase wallet name. Are you saying this because people can now just send you yes. crypto? Yes. We'll see. So I tried to get John Roderick. Somebody in Australia already has it. But all the great shows. So let's see what happens. There are a lot of crypto uh, people that are listening to the show. If you're mad and I, that I'm not doing it right or mad that we're- Why would they reward you? Disparaging libertarianism. Why don't you show me what an effective medium of exchange it is? If your business model here is to rely on the generosity of libertarians- well, I except, have some bad news for you. Except some libertarians see me as a as a beacon of light they in think, the dark. Maybe they think they can convert you. If John just gets enough free Bitcoin, he'll see that it's good. See, that's what I'm saying. And don't if, do this. Nobody send John your Bitcoin. No, 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 no. Send me, send me some Bitcoin. You know, send, even a small, small, minor little bit. Send whatever you're going to send him to the Humane Society that's or all, some actual cause. All the great shows at um, at uh, Coinbase Wallet. Let's just send it to the rainforest. <laughs> And it's not going to do any good in the rainforest, but it is going to do because what if I became like a like a like a super excited crypto guy? It might happen. I what, might be the what guy. an evangelist John would be for your cause. Anyway, it's like it'd be a conversion of of, uh, of Saul of Tarsus. That's right. That's exactly right. So anyway, that's all the great shows. Um, so on this day in May of two, on this day in May in 2010, Laszlo, Florida man. Uh, was on one of the forums, and if you can believe this, there are fora devoted just to talking about crypto. I don't believe it. It's true. That's crazy. It's well, true. What would you have to say? Well, people were talking about it even uh, 12 years ago. I do that with U.S. currency. I'm like, hey, I uh, got a couple quarters today. and <laughs> hey, USdollar.org. I think they're in the center console of my car now. Mm -hmm. who, else, who else has a dollar story today? Well, he was on a uh, he was on a a crypto blog, and he said, "I am hungry. I want some pizza, and I will give ten thousand Bitcoin to whoever brings me two large pizzas." At the time, what was the fair market value? What was Bitcoin trading at against the dollar? At the time, a Bitcoin was four one-hundredths of a cent. <laughs> so, let me see, a twenty-fifth of a cent. So, uh, so 400 to the dollar. Or, no, is that what you said? Yeah, so 10,000 coins was worth about $41. Okay. And he said... And this was That's a lot for a pizza, but that's a lot for a pizza. But it's two pizzas and it's delivered to your house. Yeah, but Little Caesars does the pizza pizza thing. So really that's right. you know, if you cheaped out on this guy, you could probably get plus back then, eleven dollars worth of pizza. But these guys are all on these blogs, they're talking about like, oh, this is gonna be the new media of exchange, and even though it's worth, you know, point zero zero four cents. And did he realize, hey, I'm the first person to ever actually try to get goods and services? I don't think he did. Maybe he was like, let's try this out. I mean, I think that was his mentality. Look, let's see what happens. Here's here it is. Here's the here's the the moment. I'm going to offer forty or uh, uh, ten thousand Bitcoin to the first person to bring me a pizza. And nobody, everybody was like, "Ha ha, that's a great idea." Nobody bit. What? Uh, May nineteenth came and went. It's more like nobody Bitcoin. Am I right? Lol. Uh, and he's on there like, "Hey, you know, I'm still hungry. Help a brother out." He didn't eat anything in the meantime? It's a very unusual part of the story. Well, and he's got a family, too. He's got a family to feed. I think they kept eating. But every day he's on there like, anyone? Anyone? Still, still want my pizza. The 20th of May, 2010 comes and goes. The 21st comes and goes. And he's like, seriously? 
And at the time, you know, they're mining Bitcoin like it's going out of style. This is 10,000 Bitcoin is nothing to this guy. Little dwarves are swinging pickaxes. Yeah, it's worth $40. Finally, on May 22nd. The day before my birthday. Oh, in 2010, how old would you have been? I would have been 36. Or do you regret not buying Bitcoin on this day? Do you regret not flying to Florida and bringing this guy two, two I, pizzas? I wish it had been a day later so that every year on my birthday I could remember this amazing uh, pioneer. Well, remember this moment because it was the day before your birthday. A young guy by the name of Jeremy Sturdivant, who, uh, who went by the handle Jerkos, uh, Sturdivant said, you know what? I'm going to do this. He was 19 years old. He accepted the, the bargain. He went to Papa John's, bought two pizzas, and brought them to Laszlo. And they both, I'm sure, high five. Phys- physically brought it. They were both, yep. they were located near. He, I mean, one thing that limits this is the geographic. Although you can order somebody a pizza. Without. Yeah, he's another Florida man. But but I think part of the part of the gag was like yeah you got to bring we, me these we pizzas. can go hang out oh you couldn't just have his local place delivered I don't know I'm not sure what the deal was mm-hmm. I don't I you know I I wasn't on Bitcoin.org at the time you were asleep that night and you know I would pay forty dollars for you not to bring two Papa John's pizzas to my house <laughs> although don't anybody take me up on that um, if you want to give me forty one dollars worth of Bitcoin for me to call up your local pizza parlor and send two pizzas your way. Let's see if that happens. You send me the you send me the money. You send me ten thousand Bitcoin, and I'll the problem send with, you two the pizzas. problem with podcasting for people thousands of years in the future is that nobody can you know we're not this is not a live stream you know if we were doing some esports version of Omnibus, people would just be sending us pizzas right now right we'd be knee deep in delicious pizza well the thing is when this airs at the end of September if I get two pizzas then I'm going to be just as thrilled as I would <laughs> if I got them, if I got two pizzas now but what if it's thousand millennia hence. And they send you some glowing jellyfish equivalent of pizza. Well, uh, that'll be your, the road less traveled by. <laughs> to your Karen or your uh, your AI presence. <laughs> my AI presence is going to love pizza as much as my mm, actual presence pizza. does now. Um, and so this day uh, is now commemorated May 22nd. Not May 18th when the offer was made, but May 22nd is commemorated in the crypto universe as Bitcoin Pizza Day. Because it's the first moment that Bitcoin was used to actually buy a thing. And are, do they commemorate it as a, a, a the beginning of an era? Or, mm-hmm. or is it a joking uh, reference to what the value of that Bitcoin is or would be today? Well, so a lot of people have similar stories. Um, that uh, Laszlo is presumably not a billion trillionaire. Because at a time when Bitcoin was worth $100... It seemed like, wow, Cashed out. look at me. I'm, you know, I've got a hundred thousand dollars worth of coins here. Uh, in, in the case of Jeremy Sturdivant or Jerkos, Jerkos to his friends, he ended up, um, one year later selling his Bitcoin for $400. His 10,000 Bitcoin at that time had gone up a hundred percent. No, had gone up times a hundred. He's got to get out or times 10. And he's like, wow, 400 bucks. Best pizza I ever bought. I just got 400 bucks. Yeah. So so he, yeah, he, um, he made a, he made a bundle and both of them, when you talk, when they've, and they've both been interviewed many times, um, they both say, you know, 
our idea of Bitcoin is that it's there to be used and we, in doing this, sort of popularized it and that was our goal. That's what I tell myself too. They both kick themselves, obviously, because <laughs> 10,000 Bitcoin at the at the peak I have not done the math. in November of 2021 was worth $650 million. <laughs> Um, no, I'd pay that for a pizza, but probably not Papa John's. No, no. Does it come with that little that garlic sauce? I I have not. I haven't eaten at a Papa John's in one billion years. Now the uh, the sad thing, and I and you know we've been we've been mostly supportive on this episode of millennials. We love the millennials, uh, but there's we think uh, they slay. That we do think they slay. They are the tea. No, they are the. <laughs> they're not the tea. They're they spill the tea. Um, they are en fleek. Why do you say en <laughs> like it's a French thing? Because I spell it uh, E-N-F-L-I-Q-U-E. En fleek. Okay. Is that, that going to catch on? I think it will. No, no, no. Nobody says it anymore. Yeah, Gen Z loves you now that you say en fleek. Here's to Th- you. Their, their newest catchphrase. <laughs> Here's to you, Gen Z. Are you familiar? You've never been to El Salvador. I have not. Well, the president of El Salvador is a bro. He's an El Salvadorian bro. He's not a bro. He's a crypto visionary. He's Damn a, it. He is a crypto, he's a millennial crypto bro. Uh, it, There's no is, countries run by cryptozoologists. No. Who believe in, as, as far as we know, Sasquatches. But there is one run by a crypto bro. Uh, the president of El Salvador is a young guy named Naib Bukele. And by young, I just mean he's younger than me. He's about 40. And he, for a world leader. That's, for a world that's on leader. the young side. He ran for president of El Salvador basically because he had a lot of Twitter followers because he was a, you know, like a business guy, high five and white guy. He actually wears a baseball hat on backwards in a lot of his promo photos because he's just that kind of cool guy. His party um, is called the Nuevas Ideas. <laughs> They're the party of new ideas. And he um, decided, you know, El Salvador for many years has had, since they were run by a, a nationalist a United States of America CIA-funded dictatorship. The good old days. They decided that it was too hard to maintain their own currency, and so they were just going to peg their currency to the U.S. dollar, and then eventually just use the U.S. dollar as their currency. It happens. I think Ecuador does it now. Yeah. Um, but uh, Bukele decided that El Salvador was going to make Bitcoin legal tender uh, because he's a booster and he believes that this is the this is the way, the truth, and the light. Now, Bukele came into power as a young, hip dude. Um, he has increasingly become a proto-fascist. Uh, not to say that that is what millennials would all do if they were elected the president of El Salvador, but pretty much, I think. Pretty much every bro with a baseball cap backwards should not have an army. Yeah. they're going. He, and so Bukele in, uh, in 2021, just last year, sept- well, a year ago, September of 21. Never forget. He passed a Bitcoin law that made Bitcoin legal tender in El Salvador. Although... Something like 70% of El Salvadorans were against it, recognized that it was a dumb move. But in September of 2021, Bitcoin was worth $60,000. 
And Bukele put a lot of El Salvador's cash reserves, made the, made the big play, and put it in Bitcoin with the idea that it was going to solve El Salvador's debt problems. Well, if, it keeps, if it keeps bringing tenfold uh, growth every one to three years, sure. Sure. And, However, and, two months after. And, and El Salvador would become a crypto uh, enclave, a crypto exclave, or a crypto, uh, you know, a destination for yeah. crypto banking and, and whatnot. You know, right now, I mean, there are crypto banks in that are dug into the hillside in Switzerland where I don't even know what they're doing. They're storing crypto as though it's real money, but it's on hard drives. It's so bizarre. Anyway, Bukele put everything into Bitcoin, or if not everything, a lot of things. Too much. And... um and devised a whole like Bitcoin ATM system. He started a thing called the Chivo wallet. Chivo being a El Salvadoran term for like cool. This guy hip. does have some nuevas ideas. Yeah, he does. It's a Chiro wallet. Hey, most of the population of El Salvador was like, this is a terrible idea. And as you said, just a, a couple of months later, uh, Bitcoin started to decline. And then over the course of, the first half of 2022, uh, Bitcoin went from $65,000 to $19,000 in value. And El Salvador lost 60% of the the value of its investment. It's a bummer because the great thing about crypto going down is you can actually, you can actually root for it. Because, well, because you know, generally it's, you know, the, the dumber people. And, and, and Bukele has... Uh, but here, it's... Uh, it's the developing world now taking it on the chin because of this yo-yo. He has doubled down on it and is like very confidently saying that he's buying the dip. Gotta buy the dip. Gotta buy the dip. His big idea is to... Uh, is it a grande idea? It's a grande idea. And it's also Nuevas. You should have a new party. You know, El Salvador is a is a volcanic hotspot. There are a lot of old volcanoes there and there's a lot of um, like uh, steam power. I mean, one of the one of the ways they they generate power there is is using geothermal. Geothermal, and so his idea was that they would build Bitcoin City, <gasps> Bitcoin City, where La Ciudad de los Bitcoin, see, where they would have free power, eco power to generate bitcoins in their big geothermal you know, steam engines. Getting around the objection that Bitcoin's an incredibly inefficient carbon energy way to— It's the worst. It, it uses so much energy to produce this tiny, you know, these little, little well, when they're $65,000, it's kind of like fracking, right? Yeah. When oil is up to here, I would never, you do it. But if I would you, never put half the Texas electricity grid in this so that everybody's AC goes out, but— Look, if that hard drive's worth $150 million, go dig in the landfill. Hell, I'll, I'll do it. But the problem with El Presidente's ideas here is that, you know, Bitcoin City could get all this clean geothermal energy and use it for literally anything else. Here's the problem. Geothermal energy only produces 23% of El Salvador's energy. Right. And the rest is produced by either burning coal. The dirtiest or coal fuel, we could find. Or they're importing it from other places. So it's not like geothermal is some, like, on tap amount of energy that yeah. they're just like, oh, just, we don't even just, know what to do with it. There. All right. this electricity. So right now, and this is a tragedy, 
Uh, El Salvador is laboring under $23 billion worth of national debt. Bitcoin debt. Uh, that they owe the International Monetary Fund because, of course, global banking. Uh, I'll have it Friday or whenever Bitcoin goes back up. So right now, Ken, as my wealth increases at my Coinbase wallet, all the great shows and yours, because people are people are are giving me the dip, right? They're at the dip and they're like, you know what, Roderick, Bitcoin's hardly worth a thing now. It's only twenty thousand dollars. You can have ten thousand of mine. Is this a thing that happens? A donation economy based on beats me. I mean, all this is new to me. I just think the kind of people that own Bitcoin are are, uh, are the least likely. Yeah, but it's I mean, scarcity is uh relative right sure they can give you a, a, a tiny crumb a tiny morsel from their bitcoin table i went to a i went to a party at your house a couple of weekends ago and there were so many hamburgers on the grill there were a lot of hamburgers you were and then i noticed there was costco hamburgers out of a bag but still you had made enough hamburgers they were all getting eaten no they were everybody ate a hamburger it, well the problem was at the end like i made a batch and they all went and i was like oh no i gotta make 10 more and i made 10 more and none of those got eaten yeah right <laughs> And I, you know, I think I probably had two and I had a hot dog, but you know, Whoa. so I, uh, hey. maybe you should be contributing to my, uh, you know what? Ethereum wallet. You know what? I'm Matt a big Damon. dude. Don't, don't hamburger shame me, but yeah. So, I mean, to some people, one Bitcoin would be a year's wages and to other people, 10,000 Bitcoin is just a drop in the bucket. If you're a Salvadorano, do not send your Bitcoin no, to Jim. No, no, no. But if you are, if you're a tech bro that want to prove that Bitcoin is a way to support your favorite podcaster. I will not split it with Ken, Mr. Hamburgers, Mr. Surplus of Hamburgers. Uh, <laughs> You're the Hamburglar. Did I did I mention it's all the great shows at Coinbase Wallet? I have no idea whether they can actually, based on that scant amount of information, right. they might be laughing at me right now. Instead, I need a 20-digit number. You're going to get 20 emails explaining why this is not a thing. <laughs> if you, Okay, here's the burden of proof. If you send me an email... You have to follow up with actual Bitcoin when I figure out how to use it. If you don't have Bitcoins, just send me a pizza. Yeah, or you could send Ken a pizza. And that concludes Bitcoin Pizza Day, entry 126.jb1304, certificate number 11904, in the omnibus. Uh, Futurelings, there are a number of ways that you can support the show that do not involve John's Coinbase wallet. I would like to emphasize these mm. as we celebrate our 500th anniversary. All the great shows at Coinbase Wallet. You could uh, you could write a nice review of us. You could. Oh s- wow, we never say that. You could. Well, what yeah. a good idea. Go write to a nice review. I feel like Apple Podcasts. We get like a nice review about once a month. Wait, star and review five stars and. Give us a good review. Thank you, Ken. You don't even have to do five stars. You could, you could give us, no, give no, us, no. give us an honest review. No, it's a, it, that's a false economy. Everything is either a five star or a one star. There's no, middle. but nobody listening at this point is going to give a one star. No, but but the ones that are libertarians that are like, I'm only going to give three stars because John doesn't know about blah blah blah. John pronounced me. M- okay, giving an, giving an Uber driver three stars is a little different than giving an a, an artwork like a podcast. How is it different? Because there's an economy of, of reviews and criticism around art and not about uh, ride shares. Yeah, but, you know, the, people are going to be like, I want to I want to listen to a podcast. And they're going to look at 10,000 five-star reviews for Joe Rogan's 
pile of hot trash. And then we're going to have a four and a half star because you're encouraging people to leave us three stars. No, I think you should. There's this is a we have the integrity that other shows do not. All right. If all you right. have, if you think this is a four star podcast, give us four. Don't do if it. If you think it's a three star podcast, give us three. If Don't you think it's a two-star that. podcast, why are you listening this why? long? It's, yeah, it's, we're doing? like well over an hour into this show. This is the end of the show, and you're still hanging on. You're all five-star podcasts or nothing. Ride or die. You could email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. You could follow various social media presences at Omnibus Project, at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick. You could send us things. You could? You can. Uh, I don't want to open this one because there's a lot of tape on it. Yeah, that does have a lot of tape. Maybe I'll open that one later. <laughs> this one. I want to thank... Oh, this one doesn't even have a name. Some mystery person. I want to thank mystery person for not putting tape on their box. I'm going to open this and it's just going to be like, Ken, autograph my baseball. <laughs> oh, no, it is. No, it's not a... Oh, no. Is it really? I, I thought it was an S-A-S-E, but it's not. No, it's... Uh, <laughs> what, what, what? Now we're talking. What is it? Who is this from? There are two blank envelopes here. Is it Omaha the Cat Dancer? No, even better. Michelle. My bell. Notes that in the tweet entry, I said more Mr. Rogers than, and I was trying to think of a very tough Mr. character that would make the the simile work. Mr. Bean? He's more Mr. Rogers than Mr. No, it has to be a tough one. Oh, Mr. Mr. No, see, we still can't think of one, but Michelle has done the work here. And has actually crocheted us, or cross-stitched? Cross-stitched us a little sampler that says the correct answer. Oh, More Mr. Rogers than Mr. T. Is that actually cross-stitched, or is that a a, a, a picture of a cross-stitch? From across the room, it looks like a picture of a cross-stitch. Up close, no. Michelle has actually cross-stitched more Mr. Rogers than Mr. T. Oh, show me that. Wow, this needs to go on its own sign. Isn't that beautiful? Look at that. That is beautiful. And she sent us a couple relics of a Midwestern Mr. T loving childhood, a I Pity the Fool sticker. Yep. And even better, the annual, I don't know why this would have an annual, of Mr. T's Saturday morning television cartoon. Hey, hey. Why Why does he have an annual? This is British. First name, Mr. I can tell. I used to have a Moonraker annual, which was one of these weird hardcover children's books about a pop culture property. Those hardcover books are, Disney put out so many of those for all their properties. But I could tell this was British the second I saw this 3000 AD ass lettering on this Mr. T comic. <laughs> I think Judge Dredd's going to appear at some point. My question here is more Mr. Rogers than Mr. T, but she didn't capitalize the M in more. So it's, Or it, than. It's a stylistic choice. Well, it, it foregrounds the names, surely. But I mean, it's a sentence. It's a sentence more than it's not, more it's a Mr. Rogers than Mr. What, T. What would the verb be in the sentence? Uh, me, I'm <laughs> the implied. I'm <laughs> your it is it is it's that is fantastic, and I love this weird off-brand British uh, animated Mr. T thing. I am actually taking this home. Usually, I just leave junk here in your bunker. John. Yeah, you do. I, 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 my but, uh, daughter's mother was saying yesterday, oh, the the basement's a mess. Ken is going to be mad. And I was like, do you see Ken's area? Ken makes the mess. Ken is the mess. Look at Mr. T and the Island of Fear, this amazing adventure that he's having uh, in a British font. Oh, it is good. Look at that. I love a jean vest that has the slip, uh, the sleeves ripped off. And look at this little red-headed kid. He has a matching vest. Yeah, Mr. T in this cartoon apparently had a multiracial team of young people yep. who he would lead on adventures, probably based on real life. Well, what's interesting is there's an Asian girl, 
There's who seem uh, someone who seems like a Latin guy. There's a Hacker. African descendant person. That's not the right way to say that. A, re- a red-headed woman and a red-headed boy. So it's very UK. And then there's a dog with a mohawk. <laughs> Do you think in real life Mr. T gives his dog a mohawk? Yeah, see, here's his group. Kim Makamura, uh, Miss Priscilla Bisbee. Is that the dog? Nope. Spike, who's the young kid. Why does he have a a Southern Belle in his... Miss Priscilla Bisbee. And then Vince D'Amato. So he's kind of the Italian guy. This is like a World War II movie. Then Garcia Lopez. Finkelstein. And then the black kid is Woody Daniels. Okay, here's the thing about Garcia Lopez. I'm 100% sure he is named after the DC Comics books artist... Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, who did a lot of model sheets for animation in the 80s. He looks exactly like Epstein from Welcome Back, Cotter. That's offensive to our well, Latino wait, friends. No, they all look like Welcome Back, Cotter characters. Vince D'Amato looks like, looks like John Travolta. I don't think there was a Kim Makamura. We'll put a picture of, there's a hacker in a wheelchair, mm. there's a <laughs> robot on a skateboard. <laughs> and then the dog's name. So the kid's name is Spike. The dog's name is Dozer. We're going to put a picture of this up on the Patreon so you can enjoy it. If in the 500 previous entries of Omnibus, you have become a loyal supporter of the show. They're all gymnasts. Look at them. They're they're gymnasts. I once saw Mr. T on a Spanish television New Year celebration in the 90s. Nuevo ideas. When apparently you could get him very cheap and he had to do all these physical challenges and he was... The poor guy was not in any kind of condition in the mid-90s to be doing physical challenges on late-night Spanish TV. So everybody here is a uh, is a gymnast, and they're all doing gymnast activities, and there is... Do you think that was Mr. T's own? Yes, I will let you license me for, anim- for Saturday morning animation, but I must be uh, associated with my true love, competitive gymnastics. Maybe. I must be hanging out with a team of agile gymnasts. Yes. Here in the final story, I'm, this is going to disappoint you a lot. In the final story, Mr. T and the Mystery Ranch, the bad guy is a Native American in a full headdress, feathered headdress with a tomahawk, mm. and he is fighting the gymnasts who are doing gymnastics to defeat him. I don't know if he says how at any point here. It does seem like the mid-80s is a little late to have an evil headdress wearing Native American villain. Yeah, I'm not sure, yeah. I mean, unless he's like an anti-hero who's like, you took my land, gymnasts. But I, I, feel, I feel like there were still members of uh, the conservative party in Britain that were wearing them to parties at Oxford <laughs> until 2005. Yeah, it's like <laughs> probably last, probably last uh, Michaelmas. Um... So you can see uh, the cool things people send to us by going to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Omnibus Project. Look, you've gotten 500 free shows, many of you. It's time to, it's time to man up. Pony up. This is a, you can woman up. This, you is, can, uh, this is now Bitcoin City, a libertarian paradise where nothing is free. You can gender neutral up. Yes. You can, uh, what, you don't think pony is gender neutral? Oh, no, but man you said up. you can oh, man up. Oh, I see. I mean, no, a pony. Po- uh, send us a pony. Send my send me a pony to <laughs> to your Bitcoin wallet to my Coinbase. Uh, All the great shows. Oh, also, I'm a bit I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, so I don't want your Dogecoin. Although, if you want to send me Dogecoin, I'm fine with that too. Would you take Ethereum? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what Ethereum's worth worth bank. Wouldn't a maximalist mean you take anything? But you're saying you won't take Dogecoin. That's a minimalist. No. So there are people who are Bitcoin only. 
They're ride or die Purists. Bitcoin, and they don't want they they don't believe because they think all the other coins, every other crypto coin is just a scam. They're all pyramid schemes. But you're more of a unitarian, like man, all these all these systems have something good to offer us. Yeah, well, but Bitcoin. I'm a, I'm a crypto unitarian. Bitcoin's the thing. It's the it's the big daddy, and maybe the rest are scams. But you know, people get rich off of scams. Not that Matt Damon one. I'm sure that one's real and good. Hey, hey, take the take the big risk. What was his tagline? Hey, uh. Um, how do you like them apples? <laughs> hey, you would have lost a lot of money if you had done what I asked you to do. I'm making money off this ad. Why shouldn't you? <laughs> I bet he was paid in Bitcoin, and I bet he's like, damn. Please pay us an actual uh, legal tender backed by a government and regulated by all the banking regulations that uh, I promise you exist for a reason, mm-hmm. even though John's complaining over there about how he can't get a Western Union wire at 5.01 There are 900 articles in Forbes magazine right now telling you that money, that the U.S. dollar is still great and that the Bitcoin is, is baloney. So if you if you want Oh, to, I didn't mean U.S. currency. I meant Chinese money. But okay. Yeah, you can send us dollars, too. What is Chinese money based on? A wing uh, and a prayer. Ideological purity. That's right. A, fun, a, a fanatical devotion to the party. Compatible with Maoism. Uh, we need it. Yeah. Who's going to cross-stitch us a compatible with Maoism uh, a sign? Um, did I do all the things? Maybe so, yes. So. Help us celebrate our 500th anniversary at patreon.com slash omnibus project. The futurelings are wherever you find them. Futurelings from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we wish you many goods and cheese and hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the office.